Hello world and welcome to Podcast in A Minor, where I bring you the weird little songs I write and then give you the stories behind them. Weird stories, creepy stories, funny stories, whatever the world gives us in all its glorious mystery. And now for today's opening song. Welcome to Podcast in A Minor. I'm Amy Zollers, a poet and an artist, and I'm in one of my moods. You just heard Bat Squatch Take Me Away on the Daisy Rock acoustic electric guitar. Hey, it's summertime again. And welcome to another cryptid campfire. If you were around last summer, you might have joined the last cryptid campfire with its three now traditional, I like to think, songs about jackalopes, Momo the Missouri Monster, and the Ozark Howler. That was three songs in one episode. A lot of bang for your buck. This year, of course, I'm older and have a job now. Plus, I'm not like four episodes ahead in recording like I used to be. I am zero episodes ahead at the moment. So it'll be like one song per episode and maybe three cryptid campfires. I don't know. Let's see how she goes. Maybe it'll really get rolling around here and the rest of the summer of 23 will be nothing but cryptid campfires. Ooh. So this time, instead of the genuine flaming marshmallow campfire vibe of song story, song story, song story, we get song story pedantics. Pedantics can refer to someone showing off their knowledge in a boring manner. Anything but a boring manner, though, in our case. It's freaking cryptid campfire. Bless. Also, it's not my bone-deep knowledge so much as a cascade of discovery brought on by songwriting. Rabbit holes, if you will. So this week, our campfire song is about Bat Squatch. No, I didn't make that up, contrary to what my son thinks. And who or what is Bat Squatch? I'll tell you. But first, a look at the lyrics. Take me away, Bat Squatch, to the second highest treetops, where the rain drowns our anguish in the buck moon's shrouded light. Down by the warm campfire, let the wild huckleberries heal your trauma of displacement when your mountain home blew its top. I'm not afraid to soar and become one with the forest in its canopy glorious in the sky and in the rain. Take me away, Bat Squatch, and we'll roast a stolen pumpkin and we'll chew on the pine sap and we'll sing, we'll sing, and we'll sing. Now then, Bat Squatch, what are you? According to Mysterious Creatures, A Guide to Cryptozoology, Volume 1, by George M. Eberhardt, Bat Squatch is 
a flying humanoid of the northwestern United States. Oh, did you hear that? I hope it's fireworks. I'm outside on my front porch. Let's see how she goes. Bat Squatch from Eberhart in Mysterious Creatures, A Guide to Cryptozoology. It's a flying humanoid of the northwestern United States. Physical description. Height is nine feet, bright blue fur, yellowish eyes, tufted ears, long wolf-like muzzle, sharp, straight teeth, bat-like wings, clawed, bird-like feet. Etymology is Sasquatch with bat wings, coined by the witness. Behavior apparently can affect car engines. Distribution, Western Washington State. Significant sighting. Brian Canfield's truck stalled as a winged creature dropped from the sky into the road in front of him near Lake Kapowson, Washington on April 16, 1994. It stood still for several minutes, unfolded its wings, and started flapping them. Canfield could feel the turbulence in the air as this occurred. The creature slowly rose and flew off in the direction of Mount Rainier. Present status, only one known encounter. Sources, Tacoma, Washington News Tribune, April 24, 1994. Phyllis Benjamin, Bat Squatch, Flap Flap, Info Journal, number 73, summer of 1995, pages 29 to 31. Well, thank you, Tacoma News Tribune and the rest. You know, anytime something comes up that I've ever mentioned musically on the podcast, I just want to... Tacoma, Tacoma, you better Insert a song clip just like that in this miraculous time to be alive. And now, from the very sassy PortlandGhosts.com, a description of the Bat Squatch. The Bat Squatch is said to be a large humanoid monstrosity, clocking in at more than nine feet tall and weight of two grown grizzly bears. The creature is said to have piercing yellow eyes, blue-tinged dark fur, razor-sharp teeth, a wolf-like muzzle, bird-like wings, a broad muscle-bound torso, and bat-like wings that span up to 50 feet. The beast is also said to have psychic abilities. Telekinetic powers allow it to affect man-made objects like car engines, radios, and television sets. And that is end quote there. And while Eberhardt's Mysterious Creatures, A Guide to Cryptozoology, Volume 1, 2nd Edition, 2013, confidently states that there was only ever one known encounter with Batsquatch, PortlandGhosts.com cites other sightings. And here we quote, The first sightings of the monster occurred post-St. Helens eruption. The creature appeared everywhere. Curious folks, rescuers, investigators, or anyone trampling around the blast zone were aware from word-of-mouth warnings that something roamed the area. At night, during those few years after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, only the brave and foolish would dare go out into the darkness and try their luck. For years, the Bat Squatch was a Washington state legend, a creepy crawler folks would frighten their children with, a legend, a tall tale, folklore, and nothing more. The St. Helens eruption was slipping into the memory banks. The nation was recuperating. The region was getting back on its feet. Why dwell on the bad? And part of that bad was the Bat Squatch. The 1994 fiasco. In April 1994, Brian Canfield was driving in Washington's Pierce County when his vehicle suddenly stalled. Canfield smacked the thing a bit, got out, and popped the hood. He looked inside when 
Suddenly, blam, something landed on top of his car. The vehicle's suspension squirmed and buckled. Canfield, the hood blocking his view, swallowed, took a deep breath, and did like a lemur. He took a quick peek above the metal rim. Scratching his chassis, snarling, and looking like it wanted a fight, the bat squatch stood. Canfield ran. The creature leaped. When Canfield got back into town, the back of his shirt was torn. His truck was all scratched, and his nerves were wrecked. People chalked it up to the man having one of them nights. And note the folkloric groanings between here and the account recorded by Eberhardt. Batsquatch lands in front of the car versus on top of the car, and so forth. And back to Portland Ghosts, more sightings. In 2009, near Mount Shasta in California, several hikers witnessed a huge creature with leathery wings fly out from a crevice in the mountain. The creature was either the dreaded Batsquatch or a pterodactyl slash thunderbird. Descriptions vary. In 2011, a man was in his yard walking his dog. The man went to pick up the dog when he saw something flying in the sky. And I'm reading this as is. I saw something flying sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and had a face similar to eyes glowing red. It was about nine feet tall at the least after I watched it just flew away. On April 14, 2014, at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio, a class witnessed a giant black mass zoom by the window of their homeroom at flashlight speed. The phenomenon gains momentum every summer, particularly in campgrounds, as folks start to tell stories around the fire concerning the fearsome creature, end quote. Gratifyingly, Portland Ghosts winds it all up with the Mothman Connection. Quoting PortlandGhost.com, many parapsychologists and cryptozoologists can't help but point out the incredible similarities between Batsquatch and the Mothman phenomenon. Both occurred during and after a cataclysmic event. Both cryptids have the power to affect man-made objects. Both cryptids have piercing, blazing eyes and huge wings. The main difference, it would seem, is that Batsquatch seems more hostile and aggressive, whereas the Mothman is a more gentle creature. End quote. Well, naturally, after all, it's a real day's work to be a portent of doom. Exhaustion breeds the Mothman's patented gentleness. No word on Batsquatch being seen before the fateful eruption of Mount St. Helens in the way that witnesses reported seeing something like Mothman hanging around Point Pleasant's Silver Bridge sometime before it collapsed. But here we acknowledge Batsquatch's trauma of displacement, as mentioned in the song, the explosion of Mount, the, the Mount St. Helens habitat as a cause for hostility. And may we admire, or at least remark upon, the naive confidence of the singer of this week's opening song that her folksy charms will undoubtedly calm the aggressive beast and they might become each other's solace. And why would she have the creature take her to the second highest treetops? Probably because the top ones would be too scary, too windblown, too exposed to the elements, not private enough for our dalliance. I mean their dalliance, that of Batsquatch and the singer. It's not necessarily me. Get serious. No, don't do that. It's summertime down by the campfire. In the opening song, July's Buck Moon is mentioned. Recall last week's episode, Nicotine Headache and the Strawberry Moon of June. It turns out traditionally that every month's full moon has a special name with significance attached, and the buck moon is July's. Here's more on that from our pals at timeanddate.com. 
July, Buck Moon. In July, the full moon is called Buck Moon to signify the new antlers that emerge on deer bucks' foreheads around this time. Other Native American tribes call it Salmon Moon, Raspberry Moon, and Thunder Moon. In Celtic, this moon was known as the Claiming Moon, Wirt Moon, Herb Moon, and Mead Moon. The Anglo-Saxons called it the Hay Moon. Hey, I looked up Wirt for Wirt Moon. That's W-Y-R-T, and I found. Wirt is a feminine noun that refers to a plant or herb, especially as used for food or medicine. It is an Old English word that is still used in some contexts today. In another context, Wirt stands for, would you rock this? Would you rock this? You can learn more at wordsense.eu or acronym24.com. And if June's full moon is known as the strawberry moon because the wild strawberries are ripening, we can guess why July's buck moon holds the alias raspberry moon. And yeah, we have raspberries coming out front. They're cultivated, but they're starting to come around. It's not quite July. And I don't know when the full moon is, probably here in a week or so. So uh, we shall see. But there's the mead moon again. Timeanddate.com did not specify that the strawberry moon's mead moon alias was strictly Celtic in origin, whereas July's mead moon is said to be Celtic in origin, urging me to investigate the names of Celtic full moons. From mabonhouse.co. June Celtic moon. The June full moon was known to the ancient Celts as the mead moon or the horse moon. It was believed that a newly married couple should drink mead for one full moon cycle to promote good health, prosperity, and fertility. June is a time to celebrate the longest day of the year with Litha and the summer equinox. Spend time outside enjoying the long days and abundant sunshine. And the July Celtic moon? The July full moon was known to the ancient Celts as the claiming moon or horse moon. Claiming moon is likely derived from some sort of early legal system similar to August's dispute moon. July is traditionally the warmest month of the year in the northern hemisphere and as such is a good time to relax, meditate, and reflect on your life. It is also a good time to think about how you can bring more positive things into your life. So according to mobbinhouse.com, the mead moon still belongs to June. Of course, there's a Celtic moon for every month of the year, but we'll let those unfold as they come with the thrilling preview that September, my birthday month, brings the singing moon. Oh my gosh. Also, you can follow the mobbinhouse.com link in the show notes if you just have to know it all now. And a line in this week's opening song refers to a stolen pumpkin being roasted on the campfire. And for that, I want to take you to a book called Who's Watching You? An Exploration of the Bigfoot Phenomenon in the Pacific Northwest by Linda Coyle-Succi. And I heard of this first at uh, the podcast Mysterious Universe. Um, and that was probably... I'm going to say like three or four years ago. And the way Mysterious Universe works is they have about 10 episodes going for free at any given time. And then as the episodes age, they kind of slip into, you know, paid content territory. So that if you subscribe, and the last I heard it was like nine bucks a month. It may have gone up since then. I don't know. You get the bonus content and there's a lot. They've been doing it for like so many years and they've got so much content and I do not actually subscribe because there are too many things to subscribe to but um but 
this way I can kind of give you that story again without it just being all pervasive and you've already heard it. I feel like I've already done this, but I think I did it in homeschool. So if you've heard this before, here it is again from Who's Watching You. Chapter one is Graham's Sasquatch story from Linda Coyle Sushi. Grandma moved to Washington State in 1959. Graham, as I called her, and her little dog Timmy took up housekeeping in a cozy little house in the country. She was surrounded by woods and close to a river. It was that very first summer. That's about the time things came up missing, she said. The first thing she noticed was the missing blanket, stolen right off my clothesline. The next week it was two blankets. She stopped leaving them out at night after that. They never took my clothes, not even one pair of undies. Thank goodness it was just the blankets they were after. Sushi goes on to describe her grandmother's marvelous garden, where she grew tomatoes, potatoes, big heavy squash and zucchinis, berries, beets, pumpkins, and all the wonderful goods. She even had a grape harbor growing over a picnic table. But she began to notice some of her produce disappearing, not being gnawed or nibbled at by deer or raccoons. Someone or something had come along and, say, plucked a whole tomato and taken it away, or a heavy oversized squash. And while gardening one day, Graham noticed tracks in the dirt. But not paw prints or claw marks like a bear's or hoof prints. They were five-toed footprints and big ones. In fact, she thought, if those footprints belong to one of my neighbors, they have some huge feet. She guessed the prints were around 18 inches long. So one night, she decided to stand watch at her window with her little dog Timmy on her lap. She heard a strange howl that sent Timmy shaking and running under the bed. She heard several of these howls, unlike any she'd ever heard, and some hooting as well. But she never saw anything that night. Two nights later, she left a big squash, some tomatoes, and string beans on the picnic table and sat by the window with her rifle nearby. She sat in the dark and let her mind wander until Timmy began to shake on her lap. Graham stood up and looked out the window. And next to her raspberry bush stood a, quote, dark brown hairy beast, she called it, describing it as at least eight feet tall, saying he would have to duck just to come inside the house. She watched the massive creature eat big mouthfuls of berries, and she half thought it might be a gorilla escaped from the zoo, but she knew it wasn't. The creature then picked a tomato from her garden and held it up in the moonlight to look it over, and then he ate it in one bite. Finally, he took the giant squash from the table and walked off into the woods with it, swinging one arm. Graham was annoyed that he had picked a tomato from the garden when she left two perfectly good ones on the picnic table, but the encounter did not frighten her. Sushi describes how fearless her grandmother had always been, once dealing with an intruder climbing in through a narrow bathroom window by grabbing a butcher knife, running outside, pulling him down out of the window by his ankles, and chasing him down the alley, knife in hand. After seeing the creature in her garden, Graham stopped waiting up for him at the window, but she continued to share her garden harvest with him, leaving fruits and vegetables on the picnic table at night. He came only in the summer and fall, and for many years. She noticed that pumpkins were his favorite, so she started making them into cakes in a big round bunt pan. She told of how the beast was such a big guy and with such huge hands that he would pick the cake up by the hole in the middle and eat it like a donut. He loved the cakes, apparently, and began leaving Graham little presents on the picnic table. Apples, pine cones, flowers, and pretty rocks. She showed her granddaughter an apple, saying, Look, this apple has a big fat worm in it. I don't think he minds. It just eats them worm and all. Sushi remembers that apple staying on the kitchen windowsill a long time without rotting. 
Who's Watching You includes a recipe for Graham's Sasquatch cake at the end of the chapter. It includes squash or pumpkin, your choice, along with pumpkin spice, vanilla, nuts, raisins, and dried cranberries. Nice one. And finally, chewing the pine sap. Here's a word about pine sap as medicine and other wonders from TreesUnlimitedNJ.com. Sap begins as a golden liquid and eventually hardens into solid amber. Oftentimes, you can find pieces of amber with perfectly preserved insects inside them, which should give an idea to the properties of pine sap. This wonder sap can be used as a self-aid to treat wounds, stop bleeding, and treat rashes. It is a natural antiseptic, anti-inflammatory, and astringent that treats and bandages wounds like a two-for-one. The softer sap can even be chewed like gum for colds and sore throats. Pine sap can also serve as a waterproofing for seams in boats, boots, and containers. It was used in the olden days by natives to waterproof canoes and patch their teepees. Despite its waterproofing abilities, dried globs of the resin can be used as a fire starter in wet conditions. Yes, indeed. And coming up before the closing theme, a montage of last year's Cryptid Campfire musical Bonanza. And why not revisit episode 10 of podcast in A minor, Waffles with Mothman, for more on the Mothman, Batsquatch's kindly cousin. Compare for yourself. Check out the show notes for whimsical s'mores variations, a novelty, of course. I'm a sucker for the old ways as far as s'mores go. Check out episode one for more s'mores talk and werewolves. And thank you for joining me for this Cryptid Campfire starring Batsquatch. More Cryptid Campfires to come. See you next time. It's my role in the plan.